0: The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. As we enter into, uh, you know, this is being Christmas Eve and I don't know... If you've kind of noticed, but there's a lot of waiting going on at Christmas time. And my kids have had that. Anybody have one of those calendars where you open it every day, the days of Christmas, and there's little chocolates inside? And, you know, you have to wait, right? You have to do one every day. How many open them all and you eat them all? I don't know if that's you. Uh, I don't know if you like waiting, but, I mean, the stores that I've been in and the lines that I've stood in, uh, there's not too many people that love waiting. I mean, when you go to the store probably the most unpopular place is the line that you have to wait in and all the people waiting in it. And I'm always surprised when people are surprised that they have to wait. Uh, but we, everywhere we go, we find this, uh, this truth. We have to wait for things. And uh, if you've ever been to the doctor, per- perhaps, again, the most unpopular place or at the hospital is what? The waiting room, you know, where we have to stay, where we have to wait, where we have to sit, and uh, where we await help coming to us. And as we look at the the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, how many know that in your life, the thing that you struggle with, just like me, is the times where we feel like God is not working in our lives and where we're having to be waiting all the time. Christmas really is about waiting. You think about Jesus coming to the earth. He came at a time where people weren't looking for him, but boy, did they ever need him. And there was this period of time where they were waiting and waiting for God to come and waiting for Messiah to come and... You know, there's a, uh, people that have rejected Christ that's still waiting, still waiting for that Messiah to come. I'm glad that he's come. How about you? I'm glad that his name is Emmanuel, that, it, that that means God is with us. The Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And as Jesus enters into, he gets in the ship and he goes to the other side. This is after he had uh, touched the man, the maniac of Gadara and cured him and, and cast out those devils that were in him. And. Uh, we see all of that take place, and then Jesus goes to the other side. He meets two individuals. The first individual he meets is this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. And Jairus has an emergency. Jairus has a problem. Jairus is in trouble. His daughter is sick, and she's going to die. He so said, What kind of Christmas message is this? We're going to get there. Just hold on for a minute. And as you look at this picture, as you look at what is going on, Jesus is, is teaching them something. In the sense of he's trying to teach them to wait, to be patient on him. How many need uh, more patience in your life? You need more patience. Be careful when you pray for patience as the Bible tells us that tribulation works patience in our lives. That difficulty is what brings patience uh, to our lives. And here's the truth as we look at both of these situations. Both the woman who needed the, uh, the touch, who needed to be healed. And, and Jairus' daughter who, who needed to be touched and healed. Um, both of these people came to Jesus and they probably had a smaller expectation than they should have. And when you go to Jesus for help, you get far more from Him than you ever had in mind. There's some things we need to glean from uh, what kind of help Jesus brings to the broken. And I want to just talk about three things when it comes to the kind of help that Jesus brings. And the first one has to do with appearance. It has to do with appearance. How many know as you read the The Word of God. All things are not as they appear. As Jesus is dealing with people, they're seeing something, but Jesus is doing something that perhaps that they can't see. And when it comes to the kind of help that Jesus brings to our lives and the kind of salvation that Jesus brings to our lives, it it doesn't look like what you think it does. The appearance may not be uh, what you think it should be. I mean, think about this picture. The crowd is pressing on Jesus. This woman touches him and is healed, and and we read uh, that that Jesus realizes that his power had gone out of him. And uh, the Bible says in verse 30, And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. And and then he he tries to find this person. Well, think about what's all all of is transpiring. Jesus is is on his way to this house of this uh, young girl, Jairus' daughter, who's dying and needs to be healed. And then he goes through this crowd and this woman touches him and then he stops and he begins to talk uh, and say, you know, who touched me? And the disciples are kind of frustrated with Jesus because they're saying, what do you mean who touched you? We're in a big crowd. Everybody's touching us. Everybody's touching you. But I think if you're Jairus in this situation, are you with me? Do you want Jesus stopping here? Do you want Jesus pausing here? Do you want Jesus uh, kind of taking his time to get to your house. I mean, this is an emergency situation, is it not? I mean, he's got to get to Jairus' house. And he listens to this woman, and Jairus is anxious during all of this, and the disciples are irritated, and Jesus is full of patience and composure, and this woman with a chronic condition is getting attention instead of the little girl who has an acute condition. What do you think about that? Jesus chooses to stop and talk with the woman who has just been healed. This woman doesn't have any more needs. She's been healed. She's been made whole. It makes no sense. As a matter of fact, as we look at it, it's it's absolutely irrational. In fact, it's worse than that. It's it's malpractice. I mean, when you think about what Jesus is doing, if these two individuals were in the same emergency room, any doctor who treated the woman first and let the little girl die would be sued. I mean, this is a crazy situation. And Jesus is behaving kind of like a reckless doctor, I mean, by appearance, just outside looking in, I mean, how would any of us, if we were the father of this little girl, not be struggling with Jesus' apparent behavior, with what he's doing and the way that he's behaving and, and the fact that he's not so much in a hurry to get where we need him to go. Have you ever struggled with the help that you believe God needs to bring to your life because it didn't look like what you thought it should look like? Because it didn't come in the way that you thought it should? Because it wasn't, in if, if you would, as, as quickly as you thought it should be brought to your life? And Jairus and his disciples, they must be thinking, what are you doing? Don't you understand the situation? Hurry, it will be too late. This little girl needs help from you, Jesus, Now. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you're trying to rush Jesus? You're trying to hurry Him to do what you want Him to do? But how many know this? Jesus will not be hurried. He's standing there and talking with the woman, the thing that Jairus uh, feared all along. It happens, doesn't it? His daughter dies. I mean, the message comes. and I mean, now it's too late. I mean, the faith that he did have in Christ... And what he thought Jesus could do, and for all intents and purposes in this situation, I mean, he believes at this point that Jesus has failed him. That Jesus has failed to do what he uh, wanted to do. And it was almost a purposeful uh, failure in this situation. And what we know even further, that it was purposeful, what he thought to be failure. But what Jesus was doing was on purpose. So we see when it comes to the help that God brings to our lives, there's an appearance. It doesn't look uh, like what you think it does. Number two, uh, there's an expectation. There's an expectation. Can I say this? When it comes to the help that God brings to our lives and the salvation that He desires to bring to us, it accomplishes more than you believed it would. It accomplishes more than you believed it would. And I say this, be aware that when you go to Jesus for help, you will both give to and get from far more than you bargained for. You will both give to and get from far more than you bargained for. Be patient because the deal often doesn't work out the way that you expected. I mean, look at Jairus. He came to Jesus to cure his dying daughter, But here's the truth. We know the end of the story. Didn't he get far more than that? Didn't he receive from Jesus far more than what he expected from Jesus? While the appearance was not what it was. I mean look at verse number 42. The Bible says they were astonished with a great astonishment. This kind of speaks to their expectation doesn't it? They were not expecting Jesus to do what Jesus did. This kind of goes in line with what we've been looking at throughout the book of Mark. The disciples didn't expect Jesus to calm the storm. The maniac didn't expect those around in the city, in the town, the disciples even themselves, didn't expect them to, uh, didn't expect him to calm the soul of the man. And here in this situation, they didn't expect Jesus to do what he did. And of course they were astonished. Jairus came to Jesus for a fever cure, but not a resurrection. Are you with me? He came to Jesus for a cure, not a resurrection. Sometimes that's our faith. When we come to Jesus, the kind of help we want is the one that we want to dictate to Him. We want to say to the Lord, hey, this is what we believe that we need. This is the Savior that we want. I mean, when it comes to Jesus' coming to earth, we understand that He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. You think about the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected Him because they were, He was not what they expected Him to be. He was, he was more than what they expected, but they didn't believe. Their faith and their expectation never met. They never got to the place to where they understood who Jesus was. And When you go to Jesus for help, you get far more from Him than you had in mind. But again, when you go to Jesus for help, you also end up giving to him far more than you expected to give. I don't think that Jairus was willing to give up the life of his daughter to see the resurrection. That's what ended up happening. It cost him more than what he wanted it to cost him. Jairus came thinking he would have to trust Jesus just enough to get home, hoping that somehow the child wouldn't die before he arrived. But Jesus demanded far more from him. Because Jairus' daughter died. Because of the apparent malpractice of the great physician. She died in the waiting room. She died in in a place where we would say she shouldn't have died. I mean, hadn't Jesus done healings that were different than this, where he, I mean, healed someone without even going to see them? I mean, didn't Jesus have the ability in his words just to say, be whole, and she could have been whole, and so... What we understand is if Jesus allowed her to die, then it was on purpose. Boy, that's what we struggle with, isn't it? Meeting and seeing and recognizing the Savior who does things that we don't think he should in ways that we don't expect him to. But isn't that what makes him God? I mean, Jesus is God. So his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. We we love to have gods that we can control. We we love to have situations and circumstances and things that come into our lives that we can neatly organize and compartmentalize. We, We love to have a God that does what we tell Him to do. Not a God that demands of us that He's the Lord of our lives. I mean, that's what makes Him God. See, the truth is, is I don't know that either one of these individuals believed Jesus to be God. They believed Jesus to be a helper. They believed Jesus to be a healer. I mean, even the woman, she was a bit superstitious, wasn't she? If I could just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. But Jesus wasn't interested in just a touch and go experience. Uh, Jesus was wanting more than that in her life. She came to Jesus for healing. But again, she wanted that touch and run. She wanted to say, I'm better. I'm out of here. But didn't Jesus force her to go public? Think about that. I mean, Jesus turns around and he he says, who touched me? And we understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus was calling her out of the crowd. Jesus was making her go public with her faith. I mean, something that she wanted to kind of hide, just kind of touch and leave and go. But here Jesus was unwilling to allow her to do that because she needed far more than a cure. She needed far more than what she expected. She needed a relationship. She needed to know Jesus. She needed to look at Him. She needed to see and understand who He was. She needed to be forgiven of her sins. I mean, for her to be made whole, Jesus was not just interested in making her whole in body but touching her and making her whole in her soul. You know, this was threatening for her. Think about the coping with the blood flow which made her ceremonially unclean. Because of this, to touch a rabbi in public would would break a great taboo, and therefore Jesus' request that she identify herself was frightening. We understand why the Bible says she was so afraid because she was about to say that she did something that was taboo, something that was wrong. She shouldn't have been in the crowd to begin with. She shouldn't have pressed through the crowd. She she took great risk. But why did Jesus insist that she go public? Well, the truth is is that she needed it. She needed that. She had a somewhat superstitious understanding of Jesus' power. She thought that it was the touch that could heal her. She thought His power was... Manageable. Think about that. I mean, Jesus is presenting this power to them that's unmanageable, this unmanageable power. I mean, the uh, what manner of man is this? Just a chapter before that even the winds and waves obey him. I mean, you think about how unmanageable the weather's power is. But they were more astonished than they were more afraid when they met the person who controlled the unmanageable power because his power was far more potent. His f- power was far more unmanageable to them. And so they were more afraid of him than they were of the storm. The people in the town were more afraid of Jesus than they were of the maniac after Jesus made the maniac, maniac hole. What is Jesus trying to teach us? Well, Jesus' power is not manageable by us. Interesting how we try to shape it, conform it, and use it for ourselves. God give me the power to do what? What I want. God, give me your spirit and your fullness to do what? To do my will. We're constantly asking for God to do our will, aren't we? We're constantly asking for God to to do things that we expect him to do. And then God's constantly reminding us that he is not managed by us, that his power is unmanageable, that he he is the Lord. And uh, Jesus made her identify herself so he could say what? Well, it was faith that healed you, not the clothes. It wasn't your superstition. It was faith that has made you whole. And uh, he says, I want you to know that your faith has healed you. And now that you know that, that you're in a life-transforming relationship with me. There's all the difference in the world between being a superstitious person who gets a bodily healing and a life-transformed follower of Jesus for all eternity. There's a big difference there. Uh, We're not talking about someone that just got cured. We're talking about someone that got saved. We're talking about someone that has been whole. If you go to Jesus, He may ask of you far more than you originally planned to give, but He can give to you infinitely more than you dared to ask or think. Isn't that the greatness of our God? I mean... When we go to Him, we ask Him what He's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we could even ask, or what? Think according to the power that worketh in us both the will to do of His good pleasure. Now think about what God wants to do in our lives. Is it not us that limits what God wants to do? Is it not us that grieves His Spirit, that keeps Him from... I mean, there were times where Jesus didn't work because... They had no faith because there was no faith. Listen, I wonder this morning, what kind of faith do you have? I know it's Christmas time. You say, of course, well, we believe in Jesus, that he came, that he was born in the manger and all those things. But I want to ask you, do you you believe in the Jesus Christ that is the Son of God, the Jesus Christ who went to the cross for your sin, The, the Jesus Christ who was buried and then three days later rose again in power and the Jesus Christ that wants to bring resurrection and transformation to your life. Not just a cure. Not just a healing. Listen, sometimes we, we, we understand we love the magic of Christmas. We love, the, that we love all these different things that we talk about all the time. But here's the truth. I mean, God's power is so much greater and infinitely more awesome than the things we articulate during these seasons about Christ. That Jesus is... God in the flesh God with us the word made flesh I mean I don't know if you can grasp but hold on to that thought just for a few moments but I mean I think that would change the way that we viewed God and it would increase our faith in God and it would help us that when we're in situations where it doesn't appear the way that we think it should or we don't get what we expect in life that we know that we can trust him because he's good the third uh thing that I want to bring up about God's help is timing. Timing. Um, When God does something is always different than you expected. I mean, timing is everything. And in this story, we would feel and get a sense of, if we were Jairus, that Jesus failed in his timing. That he was somehow not where he was supposed to be. How many know that that's not true? See, we have a we have an advantage because we know the end of the story. And so we say, well, you know, of course we should be happy about the situation because resurrection happened. But to us, maybe we still doubt why in the world Jesus would allow the girl to die the begin with. Why would he do that? You know, in Mark 5, verse 36, the Bible says when they brought the message that the girl was dead, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, he said to Jairus, what did he say to him? Don't be afraid. Believe. Don't be afraid. Believe. Why? Because he was afraid. Because he was lacking in faith. Because he had enough faith to believe that Jesus could bring a cure, possibly, to his daughter. But he didn't have enough faith in a resurrection. He didn't have enough faith to believe that Jesus could bring resurrection in his life, in his daughter's life. In essence, what Jesus is saying here to Jairus is, trust me, be patient. There's no need to hurry. How many love when you're in a hurry, when you're in a crisis, someone says, calm down, you don't need to hurry. How many love when someone says that to you? We hate it. Because we want them to understand from our perspective why we're so hurried. We want them to understand from our perspective why we're panicking. We want them to see and understand from our perspective why we're struggling with the situation. And so we think that everybody else should be in a panic. And sometimes, here's the truth, when we're panicked and we are stressed and situations and pressures come to our lives, we look to God and we wonder why God is not also pulling His hair out. Why God is also not hurried or worried or stressed or pressured because we want more empathy then we want miracles. We want Him to feel, if you would. And I'm glad that He's a high priest that's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm thankful that He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I'm glad that He he cares for our souls and He cares for our situations. But can we remember that He's above them? That He's over them? That He's sovereign in them? That He remains in control At all times, in all places, in all situations, come on, was there a time this week that you got a little out of control? In your mind, in your heart. I mean, sometimes we get a little out of control, and what does he speak to us? Well, he says what he says, and interesting, he can step up on a bow of a boat and say to a hurricane, peace be still, and the hurricane stops. And, And what the Bible says, again, is just dead calm. But to us, he says, peace, be still, don't be afraid. And we're the only part of creation that questions God in that moment. We're the only part of creation that struggles to grasp that God is able to calm all situations. And sometimes what he's doing is not calming the storm, but calming my heart in the storm. We're always looking for God to calm the storm, meaning to take it away But really what God means to do is understand that in life there are many storms. And what needs to be calm is my heart. What needs to rest in Him is my heart. What struggles, what strains I feel are in my heart. They're not external. They're internal. My problems are not on the outside. They're on the inside. That's a lot of times why we We think that if our circumstances would just change, that our lives would be better. Circumstances don't make our lives better or worse if we have the Lord of our hearts in control. You know, if you go to Jesus, again, He may ask you far more than you originally planned to give, but He can give you infinitely more than you dared to ask or think. Timing. It's always different than you expected. Every culture has a different sense of time. Some of you come from different cultures, and so you understand that. You may come from a culture that, I mean, if you went to a wedding that was cross-cultural, the groom is from a culture where being 15 or 30 minutes late is okay. And the bride is from a culture that frowns on lateness whatsoever. She and her bridesmaids are ready for the wedding, but the groom isn't there, and it's 15 past the hour. On the left side of the sanctuary, there's hand wringing, there's worried glances. Uh, On the right side, everybody's calm. Why? Because timing is relative. And everybody has a sense of this is the right time, but not this. You know, we all have a different cultural grasp on time. But can I say this? No matter what culture you're from, God's sense of timing will always confound yours. No matter what culture we're in, His grace rarely operates according to our schedules. I mean, isn't that what they wanted they want God's grace on their schedule. But what does God's grace do? Well, it transforms us. Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, trust me. He says, be patient. In effect, he's looking over Jairus' head at all of us. Because isn't he speaking to us? He's not just speaking to Jairus. He's speaking to us in that moment. He, he's inspiring, ascribing, and putting in the scriptures in this moment something that we need to learn, something that we need to get. And he's looking up at us and he's saying this, trust me, be patient. Remember how when I calmed the storm, I showed you that my grace and love are compatible with going through storms, though you may not think so. And I'm telling you that my grace and love are compatible with what seemed to you to be unconscionable delays, things that you cannot grasp. Think about this. Jesus is not saying, I will not be heard even though I love you. He's saying, I will not be heard because I love you. I know what I'm doing. And if you try to impose your understanding of schedule and timing on me, you will struggle to feel loved by me. That's why we struggle to feel loved by God sometimes, because we impose and ascribe our intent and our timing on Him. And God says, when you just accept and embrace the fact that my timing is the best timing, well, then you'll understand how much I do love you in that moment. And you won't struggle to feel loved by me anymore. And interesting how we put that back to God, kind of like a spoiled child. If you love me, then you'll do what I want you to do. Well, how many know that a good parent doesn't acquiesce to that? A good parent doesn't give in to that. A good parent understands that they need to be the parent even though the child may not understand what's going on in the situation or the timing of the response. I mean, do you always respond in the immediate time frame that your children want you to respond in when they call on you to do something? If you try to impose your understanding of schedule and timing on God, you'll struggle to feel loved by God. Jesus will not be hurried. And as a result, we often feel exactly like Jairus, impatient because he's delaying irrationally, ordinarily what we believe that he should not be delaying. You say, well, what does that have to do with Christmas? Well, think about the coming of Christ to earth the first time, which is why we celebrate Christmas. The appearance, well, that was all wrong to people, wasn't it? A baby born to a virgin, a manger, Bethlehem, I mean, the appearance was all wrong to so many. That's why they got it wrong. They didn't see it. They didn't understand it. The appearance of Christ the first time didn't look the way people thought it would. And can I say this? When he comes again, it's not going to look the way they think it is going to either. See, we think, even as Christians, that we got it all figured out, but we don't. We don't have it all figured out. It's not going to be like what we think it is, but we have to trust in the God who knows what it's going to be like. We have to trust in him through those situations. I mean, have you ever looked at the world and looked back up at God and said, what are you waiting for? Why are you tarrying? Could it get any worse? I mean, the situation is not what it should be. I mean, what are you waiting for? And then some of us, we look and hope that he doesn't come because we love our lives so much. We don't want him to come. We don't love his appearing because we love ourselves. We love our lives. We love our goals. We love our dreams. We love our aspirations. God, don't come because I've got things I want to do. Can I tell you, if you're a believer and he comes, you will not, you will not be upset that he showed up. You'll not be disappointed that he's here. This world has told us that it only is going to get better and better, but we know that It just gets worse and worse. But the truth is, is with God, we have hope. With God, no matter what our situations are. And listen, I understand today that for some, Christmas is not a happy time. We assume all the time that for people that Christmas is is a joyous time. And I'm not trying to suck the life out of it for you if it's a wonderful time. I love it. It's some memories with my family. I'm looking forward to the day tomorrow and all those things. But for some, it's a reminder of heartache. For some, it's lonely. For some, it's empty. For some, it's waiting, more waiting, and more waiting. And after, for some who were perhaps unwise during, it's regret. Because we overextended ourselves. But but here's the truth. Jesus, even though he may not be what you expect, is so much more than what you expect. The expectation was a conquering king, not a suffering servant, a savior, who would bring prosperity, not a Savior who would sacrifice himself for our sinfulness. But aren't you glad that he did? Aren't you glad that he came? Oh, the timing? was all wrong, wasn't it? It wasn't when it should be. It It wasn't the way it should be. It wasn't looking the way it should be. But that's our God. But let me wrap this up with the end of the story. Do you think it's odd that when Jesus arrives at Jairus's house, he says that the girl's just sleeping? Isn't that an odd way to articulate death? I mean, he says, you don't have anything to worry about. She's just asleep. We understand that it's odd to those that are there because the Bible says they laugh him to scorn. So they don't get it. And while we may be kind of looking down our, uh, our nose at them because we understand what's about to take place, Let's not lose the gravity of the situation. This little girl's lying. She's dead. And uh, the parallel accounts of the story in Matthew and Luke's gospel make it clear that Jesus understands that she is dead. She's not just mostly dead, she's all dead. You know, this is not like, uh, you know, she's on the verge of you know, CPR and bringing her back. And that's why he, he makes the reference to sleep. The answer is what Jesus does next. Because remember, Jesus goes into the room with the mother and father and he sits down next to the bed. And this is, can, can we remember, this is not accidental, this is purposeful. Everything that Jesus does is on purpose. He wants to teach us something. He, he sits down, he takes the little girl by the hand and he says two things to her. The first is Talitha. It literally means little girl. But that doesn't get across the sense of what he's saying. It's a pet name. It's a, it's a term of endearment. A mother would use it with a little girl. Probably the best thing that we could, you know, kind of think about it today is a mother looking at her little girl and saying, honey. So this is endearment. This is love. How could someone that loves this little girl let her go through what she went through? But all the while, we're remembered even by what Jesus says to her and the way he manner, his mannerism around her. Notice again, there were times where Jesus called people back. There were times where he just used words. Notice his deliberate actions. He's seated. He grabs her by the hand. He speaks lovingly to her. He says, he says honey. And then there's the second word, kumai, which means arise. Not, not be resurrected. That's the way we would think about it. It's not what he says. He's not saying be resurrected. He's just saying get up. He's doing exactly what a parent might do on a sunny morning. Just kind of walking in the room and saying, Honey, it's time to get up. It's not not resurrection. It's it's just get up. It's time to get up. And she does. But can can I remind you that Jesus is facing death here, the most horrible enemy of the human race and his power is such that he holds this child by the hand and gently lifts her and he says honey get up and it's just Jesus is saying by his actions to us if I have you by the hand death itself is nothing but sleep if I'm holding your hand death is not something to fear Death is not something to bring suffering. Death is not something that you, hey, precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of His saints. You think about that. Jesus' words and actions are not just powerful, they're loving. When you were little, if your parent held you by the hand, you felt that everything was okay. You were wrong, of course. But you felt that. They were even if they were bad parents, and even the best parents are are imperfect. Even the best parents can slip up. Even the best parents make wrong choices. But Jesus is the ultimate parent who has you by the hand and will bring you through the darkest night. The Lord of the universe, the one who danced the stars into place, takes you by the hand and says, Honey, it's time to get up. That's our God. That's, that's who Jesus is. He's not someone that just is meant to bring your life more comfort, more ease, more prosperity, more help, or to eliminate all the problems. Because a lot of times that's why we go to church, that's why we come, and I just need to, you know, I'm hoping that if I go, you know, maybe I won't struggle financially or maybe I won't struggle in my relationships or maybe we won't have these struggles. Listen, that may be why you've been coming. That may be what your expectations are. But can I tell you that he wants to exceed those So much more. Because he's not trying to bring some superstitious cure. You know, maybe in superstition you thought if you walked in today, the ceiling might cave in because of who you are. But the truth is, is that didn't take place. There's not some immediate cure that's going to come to your situation that you may be facing right now because you came here. What I will say this is if you look into the face of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, He'll bring salvation to your soul, transformation to your life. Change the way that you think. Change the way that you view both God and man, the world and your purpose, and why you're here. Here's a good question. Is that the kind of Jesus we want this Christmas? Or we'd rather have the manageable one that we can pack away with all of our decorations. Sometimes that's the God that we like. We like to take him out and put him back. We like to control what he does in and out of our lives. We even compartmentalize our relationship to him to one day of the week. And the rest, we don't need him. But that's not why Jesus came to the earth. It's surely not why he died. It's not why he rose again. It's not why he allowed the woman to be healed when she touched the hem of his garment and it is not why he allowed Jairus' daughter to die. He did all of those things to show us who he is. Not who he was but who he is. Because he's alive. He's real. It's not another fairy tale. It's not another fantasy. It's not something just that's feel good, the baby in the manger at Christmas time. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He's a suffering servant. He's the the Savior of the world. He's the one that can cure all your diseases today. You say, what well, does that mean physically? It may not. But it does mean that it can be well with your soul today. Boy, and that's the peace we need. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Isn't that the peace we need today? To have Him rescue our soul. That's who he is. That may not be the Christmas message you expected. It may not be the Jesus you were looking for. But can I say that is the Jesus of the Bible. It is the Jesus who wants to have a relationship with you and who's ready to save you if you call on his name. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.